Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. Happy holidays to everybody. Uh, my name is James Rea. I'm an editorial columnist for Bay Area News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury News and the East Bay Times in Walnut Creek, California. I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My colleague and friend is Bruce Aldrich. And today we have on Joe Weisenfelder, who is the executive editor of a very well-known uh, automobile site, cars.com, the greatest name, the greatest auto URL anybody could possibly have as <laughs> cars.com. Joe, welcome to our podcast. How you doing today? Great. Thank you for having us. You bet. Joe, could you tell us, we're going to talk about the trends of the industry for 2020, and there's a lot to cover, but could you just give us a good overview, please, of cars.com and the history of the site and um, your involvement with it? And because it's such a big ocean of car sites out there, I'd like to know a little bit. We'd like to know a little bit about cars.com in general. Sure. Well, cars.com uh, exists to put buyers and sellers together primarily. And um, I, as part of the editorial team, um, help to. Uh, educate consumers and make help them make the right decision when they, you know, shop, choose the right car for themselves because uh, the right car for me isn't necessarily the right car for you. Um, we go way back uh, to, well, I was hired in 1997, the late 1900s as I like to call it, <laughs> um, and which was before we launched the site actually. So we actually launched in summer of 1998. And we were then a joint venture of all the major newspapers, not all, but many of the major newspaper companies uh, who were smart enough to see that, uh, you know, listings, you know, cars, real estate, employment, stuff like that, that's how they made a lot of their money. They said, we better do this or someone else will. And it was, uh, it was, it was good thinking. Um, so that's kind of how we got started. And we do, of course, still have new and used car listings and uh, a very uh, effective app that helps you do that as well. Uh, along with uh, the advice we give uh, to to help get you there. Joe, if I remember correctly, uh, and I don't want to dig too deeply into this, was the site bought and sold a couple of times, or am I mistaken that it, it, it has it gone through some transition in, in recent years that I've lost track of? Many. Yes. Um, there have been many. I mean, a lot, a lot of it is was the adding of newspaper affiliates and then shedding of affiliates. And then, uh, as you know, uh, Tribune Company, which was one of three original investors, bought one of the other three, which was Times Mirror in, in uh, the great state of California. So that became Tribune. And then, you know, uh, Gannett came along. Gannett ended up owning everything, bought out the other partners, spun it off as something called Tegna, along with some TV stations. Yes. Uh, that lasted a while, and then we spun off from that a couple of years ago. I think it's roughly two years ago now, a little bit more. Um, and we are—we have been fully independent since then, uh, for the first time. Um, independent and publicly traded without other, you know, media, um, you know, uh, interests attached to us. Though we also have other. Uh, companies that, that are related to us, like Dealer Inspire, uh, which um, provides dealer software and solutions, and PickupTrucks.com is one of our, you know, let's call it holdings, uh, and it goes beyond that. So, um, yeah. Well, thanks for that update. I, I knew I remembered, mm -hmm. and I hadn't uh, kept track of it as, as much as I should have, but um, I think I've met some of your colleagues um, through the years at the LA Auto Show and maybe some other 
uh, car debuts or something, but I just didn't uh, know the, the most current update of the, of the website. So thanks for that. Mm-hmm. And Joe, the getting back to cars a little bit now, your uh, trends that you're going to talk about today, one of them is the online store versus, um, you know, the actual showroom. And there's going to be a lot of changes in the next decade. W- what are some of those? Well, you know, one of the things that we've never done in the 22 plus years that I've been there is do predictions. And we actually finally said, you know, we're going to do some predictions. And this isn't just for the coming year, it's for the coming decade. And we, we almost have to do that because I think you guys know in this industry, in this market, things don't change real quickly. I mean, they tend to, to slowly evolve. Uh, and we've seen that over the course of 20 years. Uh, but one thing hasn't changed, which is people still go to dealerships mostly. And that's unlikely to change as well. I mean, that's another prediction of ours. And I think a safe one because of franchise laws and the way things work uh, but what we have seen, of course, is a change in the way people communicate with dealerships. I mean, it used to be you'd, maybe you'd call up and they'd say, come on in, come on in, come on in, and that was your only option. Now, a lot of dealerships are much more willing to communicate with you over the, over the phone or over email or text. We have, like, chat features on our site and in the app. Uh, you know, some will even do the entire negotiation that way. I mean... It's like any business, if you think about it. I keep using this weird example of the doctor. It's like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever found a doctor who will answer an email, but I haven't. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, we, we're very busy. It's like you want to be able to send a, a, a question when you have a question and get the answer back whenever you get it back. And your schedule doesn't necessarily match their schedule. Where any, any you know, a company that's selling a product or a service that's willing to meet a consumer at their level and meet their needs is going to benefit from that. And we're already seeing that and have seen it over the course of a couple decades as dealerships have started to cater more to the way consumers want to operate. Um, And so one of the other reasons that we decided to make predictions for the first time ever, aside from the fact that we'd seen some, you know, you know, doomsday scenarios reported like, oh, millennials aren't going to buy cars, the industry's in a disaster, and we never believed that. We, should, we, we realized we should have gotten on the record because we knew that wasn't true, and it turned out to be that we were correct. And, and, and oftentimes they go the other way. It's like either the next great thing or the next terrible thing. Uh, sometimes you have to go on the record and say where you feel about it. And the other reason we wanted to make predictions is we get questions from consumers that just remind us where they are as opposed to where we are as people that cover this so closely we kind of forget what regular people know and we do do still get questions from people why can't i just buy a car online directly and with used cars in some cases you can Mm -hmm. uh but again because of the way things are set up franchise laws etc with new cars that's unlikely um and but again you will see a lot more evolution in the way that that dealerships uh, handle that, uh, and, and and I do think that for a, a product as expensive and complex as a car, there really aren't that many people out there that are going to want to buy it sight unseen, even if it does have a, a, a claimed return policy involved. I mean, you want to touch it. <laughs> you know, That's you want right. to drive it. You want to make sure it's right for you. And I can tell you, there's such a sliding scale, even though we know as people who test vehicles that they're all really good now. I mean, even yes. today's bad vehicles are so much better than the ones of 10 years ago, not so much in 20 years ago. 
but that doesn't mean that we're not still really picky and we don't get like really turned off by the slightest thing. Um, that's just human nature. So you really want the one that's best for you. I agree, uh, Joe. Like you say, um, we don't want to talk to that salesman in the you know the tweed jacket anymore. Not so much. We're pretty well educated, right? You can go to like cars.com or if it's a new car, you can go to the manufacturer sites. So you already know, you know, how much it's going to tow and, and what the gas mileage is and that kind of thing. You don't need that, but, but you do want to go in and drive the thing. Exactly. I mean, and the, the salespeople, the, the dealerships, we've heard some reports that um, uh, dealers are experimenting with a model whereby one person tries to see uh, the buyer through the entire process instead of handing off because there are, there are studies that show millennials prefer that. And maybe, I mean, some people call it the, you know, the Apple model because you go to the Apple store, it's one person all the way through. And, you know, whether or not that turns out to be a win, we'll see. But just the fact that they're willing to try it um, shows that that's the kind of evolution you can expect to see. And the ones who are willing to... Um, to try that and meet the consumer on their own turf, I think will probably ultimately benefit. Joe, I was going to bring up the, the old story of, of someone going to the dealership and whether it's a used car or a new vehicle, you know, kicking the tires. And I'm yeah. not saying that um, literally these days, although maybe there's some people who do that, but figuratively, uh, a few years ago at the LA Auto Show, there were a couple of country, uh, companies that introduced uh, apps uh, for direct buys uh, on vehicles. I think one or one or two of them are out of business, but one is still going that I'm aware of, and there are others. I received uh, a notice the other day that um, eBay uh, is now going into that business uh, as well with an app. Uh, so um, do you know any percentages or would you care to guess on a number of people who still, whether they're millennials or, or people in their 60s like, like we are, uh, who want to kick tires figuratively or literally, and uh, is there an increase in people who are buying cars online, so to speak, with an app or on their laptops? Um, I don't have numbers. Uh, I, I just know that, you know, human nature dictates something this expensive and this complex is going to, uh, you know, lead us to want to touch it and feel it. Now, bear in mind, some of the time what you're seeing here is probably the equivalent of what happens with other products, where people go to the big box store and check out the vehicle, or the product, I should say, and then go buy it on Amazon, right? Yes. So, if, you know, people might be doing the same thing. They might be getting going to an auto show uh, or going to uh, one dealership and, and driving a car. Maybe they know it from renting it. Yes. Or, or just they've gotten experience somehow, and then they're less concerned about buying something quote-unquote sight unseen. And if it's a new car, that makes a little bit more sense uh, than if it's used, because with used, I mean, there are other issues you've got to deal with, like how it's been kept and getting it inspected, which we always recommend for a used car. Itself. Sure. But, um, I mean, even, even in cases where uh, um, there's, you know, it, it appears that you're buying something online. Um, typically, there is there's going to be a dealer involved somewhere in that process. Uh, and uh, again, because of the franchise laws, which are very powerful, and we, we talk about predictions, we predict that's a that's a pretty pretty solid uh, um, 
you know, um, arrangement that, is, that is, is unlikely to change much in the next 10 years. One friend recently bought um, a new vehicle for he and his wife, although it was a used vehicle, two years old, and his experience at the dealership was one of the horror stories that people always talk about. Uh, and uh, so that is fresh in my mind, and I could see a person uh, like my friend who's very astute in the computer world and, and a very bright guy would ask all the right questions of, of cars.com, and so I could see him making uh, a transition from the, the old story to a newer story and avoiding all the stuff that he went through was was really a nightmare story that um, shouldn't have it should never have happened but it did and they, they they came out okay but it took a very long process and it just it just didn't bode bode well for that person to walk into the dealership and have an experience that on any level was pleasant it was horrible for them but it turned out okay so with your with cars.com I can see um, that people want to deal with professionals and they want to avoid the, you know, one guy going to the next guy and shuffling people in and out. It just seems like a, a horrible uh, way to buy a vehicle or buy anything for that matter. Yeah, it really depends on, on, on how, how it's structured and what people are looking for. And we, we always get into this discussion about, um, about the process because people are, are understandably – uh, intimidated by buying cars because there's a negotiation involved. Um, but the weird thing about it is that there's, there's, there's associated with that is this kind of glorification of, of uh, and romanticization of, of fixed uh, prices, of no-haggle pricing, mm -hmm. which if you think about it, it's kind of funny because what, what no-haggle pricing does is it builds in profit yes. for oh, the yeah. seller. So seems like a great thing, but all it really does is remove some stress. It doesn't mean you get a great deal. Right. It doesn't mean that, that the person selling isn't getting uh, any profit on it. The reality is, as you guys know, I'm sure, that when it comes to new car sales, there's not a whole lot of profit there. I mean, certainly there's some, but that's not where dealerships get the majority of their income anymore. No. I mean, it's, no. it's not about new car sales. So for all of the consternation it may cause among consumers who don't deal with that kind of thing in their normal life, they just go to the store, they see a price and they pay it, um, it really doesn't end up resulting in giant profits for the people doing the selling. No. Sure. Um, Joe, in other areas, um, uh, trending into the, well, we're about to turn the calendar year to twenty. 2020, uh, which is going to be interesting in a lot of different ways of our lives. But uh, the phenomenon uh, in a whole different area, the phenomenon of SUVs, you know, writing uh, a, a car review once a week and, and Bruce drives most of them uh, and he, you know, keeps track of the industry. Uh, where are we going with this? If you care to give an opinion, uh, are, are we going to see more and more SUVs or do you think that there's going to be a resurgence in people saying, you know, I really love that sedan I used to drive. I'm going back to a sedan. Or are there other vehicles, uh, autonomous vehicles, um, uh, alternative fuel vehicles that you, uh, in your expertise, 22 years at that company, see that might be on the horizon that you'd like to predict? Well, I'll separate SUVs to an extent from EVs and autonomous, because e the future of EVs and autonomous in the, in the next decade are one of our uh, predictions that might seem a little bold, but ultimately is really not. Yes. As for SUVs, I mean, we could reach a saturation point, because it seems like the manufacturers just filling in gaps now, or even creating. Like, we've gotten to where 
there's, they have a subcompact and a compact, and they're adding another model kind of between it. We don't even know what to call it. Right. Um, <laughs> Good call. So, yeah, I mean, so, but, so, and there is some concern about, about all of this and a lot of like hand-wringing about the discontinuation of sedans. Here's where I think there's less reason for concern. I don't think that Americans are ever going higher of sitting up higher and having more room and having a hatch uh, instead of a trunk. So if we never see the sedan body style in the numbers we used to or the percentage we used to again, then I don't think it's the end of the world. I think what people are concerned about is based on our old, oh, I hate to use this term, but I'm going to use it because I can't think of a better one, paradigm, where... Um, everyone ran to SUVs, and the next thing you know, gas prices shot up, and all they had were gas guzzlers. It's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to claim that there's parity between SUVs and cars, but the difference in the efficiency between today's SUVs and the cars that people cross shop with them when they do is, is nowhere near what it used to be. Very We're good talking point. About Very a good few point. miles per gallon. Yes. And some of those, and some of those SUVs, they're cars. I mean, <laughs> a subcompact <laughs> yes. SUV is in size, in interior space, and in some ways, even in efficiency, uh, they are cars. They just look like SUVs. Some of them have all-wheel drive. So it's very easy to, to think, oh, no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if gas prices go up? We're going to probably just drive the smaller ones or the more efficient ones. Um, the only potential downside to this is that people are paying more for those SUVs. Um, just because uh, they cost more. I don't think they necessarily need to cost more, but they tend to be a little bit bigger. And if something's bigger, a consumer is willing to pay more for it, even if it didn't cost, you know, more to build, (laughs) at least, you know, an equivalent amount more to build. And that's the main reason that large vehicles have higher profit margins. It's just it doesn't cost commensurately more to manufacture a larger vehicle, but a consumer is willing to pay more for that vehicle. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I see SUVs. Um, and I think SUVs will probably in the short term help boost sales of electric vehicles because we know that's what Americans want. They prefer uh, SUVs, and there really haven't been many. Um, and they are coming in plug-in, just battery electric vehicle form, and then pickups as well. And there will be more, there's more than enough, I think, pent-up demand for that to boost those, pro- those sales initially. But our not-that-bold prediction over for the coming decade is that um, electric vehicle uh, sales are not going to be great. Um, and it's for a very simple reason, and that is, uh, and I have to say, I, I always love when it's a, a live interview because I can get out my, my uh, uh, disclaimer, which is, I love electric cars. We yes. do. We, we yeah, own fast. A, a Nissan. We earned, we owned a, a Nissan Leaf and a Chevy Volt when they first came out for a year and tested them in Chicago, which is kind of a, not necessarily absolute worst case scenario, but not best because it's cold. And we love them, yes. you know, and we like a lot of them. And we think they're important and we need to do it for, you know, countless reasons. But what that doesn't change is the fact that this is a country of low gas prices, and um, you got everyone's leaving out the important factor, which is the consumer. You hear manufacturers doing it because other countries are demanding them, and, and there's talk, talk of you know, mandates here and there. But 
we just don't see enough uh, organic demand for a vehicle that is inherently limited um, in a lot of ways. I think to get people into them, arguably they would have to be cheaper than the equivalent. Or Never maybe, thought of that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe equal to the equivalent, and currently they're more than the equivalent. And, on, and, the, other re- and the, the only reason that it isn't like that way elsewhere in the world is those are countries with higher gas prices and way more government support. And if you look at what's happening, at least currently, we seem to be moving in the other direction. We've got federal uh, incentives uh, about, uh, about two weeks from running out for Tesla, yes. uh, phasing down for Chevy. Um, we've got almost half of the states, I saw a report a couple months ago, almost half of the states have either current or proposed uh, taxes on EV, EVs that equal or exceed what an internal combustion engine driver pays in gasoline taxes. So it's almost you know, punitive. Um, so it, it seems like we're going in the other direction. Um, and again, I say that as someone who likes them and thinks we need them, ultimately you got to give consumers a reason to buy them. And I think the reason is, I mean, the the only way to do it is to help them. And I don't see that help coming. Sure. Joe, another trend is the rising price of automobiles. Uh, what's, what's going to happen there? Longer loan terms, uh, car sharing, what's going on? Well, that. That, that really ties into what we've been, we've been talking about. We kind of realized after we were done with our predictions that they're all somewhat related. I mean, part of the problem with EVs and even the, the talk of autonomy, which is another, I think, interesting solution in, in, in search of, of demand. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> things that add cost for consumers that are already stretched too thin. We now know that there are seven-year loans out there that people are taking, uh, seven years is probably too long. Um, people are are end up like spending a lot more to finance a vehicle, and some of them, even after that long, still don't own the vehicle. Um, so we're actually calling kind of a budding affordability crisis, and some people would say we already have it, and it's partly because of an increase in the average transaction price of vehicles, just because more loaded stuff has been made available and the other the other side of that coin is consumers have just shown a willingness to uh, uh take on more debt um and uh it's it's kind of unfortunate so uh, i i don't want to see more consumers take more of these really long loans or just roll their debt from one car into their next finance for the next car i mean that's this doesn't seem like a wise way to do it I would like to see people in that same situation consider uh, something like certified pre-owned as an alternative because vehicles are so strong right now, uh, or even um, uh, leasing. I, I'm not, I've never been someone who's been a, a big fan of leasing for myself, but a lot of factors are kind of changing my mind, and especially when you ask some people, why don't you lease a car? They say, well, because then I don't own it at the end of the term, as I'm sure you guys know. Sure, yes. Well, if you look at the... If you look at the way some of these these people are financing cars, they don't own it at the end of that term either. So why not just you know, lease it? Good point. And that way, you pay a lower amount yes. for, this, for for the same car. I don't say use leasing to buy a richer car and pay the same amount. I use it to bring your monthly payment down, and then two years from now or three years from now, you get to upgrade to the latest and greatest, which is something 
consumers are kind of accustomed to already with things like smartphones and such. So, you bet. The, yeah, the, I, I, I do think it's possible that, that you know, if, if they be, remain available, because, you know, leasing is, is kind of depends on the, the economy and it depends on, on uh, other factors, not just demand. But I, I think it, it would be more, more uh, popular. I've referenced this point, uh, probably Bruce is sick and tired of it, but I've referenced this point with my experience with the uh, Honda Honda Clarity, which is a lease-only vehicle, uh, I think in Arizona, California, maybe New York now, and maybe a few other states. I'm not sure about that, but I had it for a week, and, and you know better than I know that it's available on a lease. They provide quite an incentive with the hydrogen purchase. Um, basically, you're getting the car for free in a, in a strange way. But my point is, is that to reiterate your point, people's habits just don't change all that much. They don't want the inconvenience in quotes of an alternative fuel car or even a hydrogen car. And yet, if the car is not cheaper, to your point, they're not they're not going to do it for that reason. They're certainly not they're not going to do it if it's inconvenient. So now we have right. two whammies: the cars are more expensive, and they have to change their habits, which again, goes to your point that um, combustion engines are going to be around for a long time before there's this, what is it, like 3% of the car sales in the U.S. are hybrids or some other form of, of just not gasoline. So it's a very... Yeah, all you have to do, yeah, all you have to do is look at, at how far hybrids got uh, in the land of cheap gas for a vehicle that requires zero change in the way you own it versus right. a non-hybrid. Yes. Um, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'll discount them a little bit, though, because they're all a little wonky to drive, uh, and, and people who are aware of that kind of thing don't like the herky-jerky acceleration and braking, and some of them are weird-looking, let's be honest. But, sure. <laughs> but your point, your point you're is You're too kind. You're too kind, Joe. <laughs> your, your, po- your point is solid, and you can flip that around as well yes. and say, well, one of the reasons that electrics are doing even as well as they are, I mean, pure battery electrics like Tesla, are because of they are exciting to drive. But, the, again, that only appeals to a, a, a percentage of buyers. Um, so you can't count on the excitement of an EV to, you know, drive sales for the masses. It's the mainstream, the mainstreaming of electric cars that we think is currently being overestimated for the next decade. I think we know the answer already, but the ever-increasing electronics in the car, we kind of touched on a little bit. Where, where do you see some trends on that? Do you see more and more touchscreens in the car, more connectivity? Um, what are your feelings on I see um, we are predicting something way more important, um, I, would, I would say. And I say important because it, it, it tends to get lost. I mean, Tesla gets a lot of credit for a lot of things, some of which it deserves and some of which it doesn't. I think its greatest, single greatest con- contribution is, uh, even beyond the electric aspect, is the updatability. And not just the wireless aspect. I mean, a lot of people are like, wow, over-the-air wireless updates. Yes, the over-the-air aspect alone is, is remarkable. It's pretty cool. I mean, very cool. I mean, unfortunately, when the Model 3 came out, um, the, 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 the braking distances were too long. They were able to send out an update to the ABS logic, and it shortened them. That's brilliant. But look at – I mean, it's unfortunate they got it wrong in the first place. That, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's another show but it also allows the car to evolve over time. 
such that if you bought a Model S three years ago, the features, the, the important features like safety features, uh, uh, you know, blind spot related, uh, lane departure prevention, uh, and assist features like um, uh, adaptive cruise control, those all improve over time because they're software-based. Uh, all of those features are uh, roughly equivalent to a, 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 a Tesla Model S that you would buy today. Um, and I think that's extremely powerful because when you review cars, you know, if you started driving some of these cars six or seven years ago when some of these features came out, like adaptive cruise control, they were pretty rough. They were herky-jerky and such. Yes, they were, if were yeah. someone, If you were someone who bought that car, you are frozen in time. Uh, that's what you got. And if you were to take that to the dealership right now and say, hi, I'd like to, the upgrade to the one that works better, they would laugh at you because it's just not done. Uh, and I, I am someone that started noticing this not when I was driving Teslas, but when I was driving other cars, where I realized, you know what? Everything I don't like about this car is just lines of code. And if they could change it, it would be a better vehicle. Um, but that's just not part of the program. It was, it's literally impossible. Um, so now one of our you know, predictions for the coming decade is that that is going to proliferate, and it's actually already started. So uh, we got a bit of a tip-off there. Uh, there are a couple of BMWs, the X5 and the uh, 3 Series already uh, are capable of doing similar things. They're not electric, note that. The uh, uh, Mustang Mach-E electric car is going to be fully over-the-air updatable. Um, Cadillac CT5 was the first on a platform that, that is claimed to do the same thing. The new Tahoe and Suburban that were introduced a, a week or two ago, the new Corvette. Um, and they, uh, GM says it could spread to uh, the entire GM line as early as 2023. We're so on the, we're on I the, think this is really important stuff. We're on the West Coast, of course, here in California in the Silicon Valley. Um, are, there's two new companies. Maybe you're more familiar with them than, than we are. But it's Byton and Rivion. Have you heard much about them? And do you have a feel for whether they'll be players or, or not yet? Um, uh, Rivian, the pickup yes. manufacturer? Yes. That's a, that's a real tough one to read, especially because it's a pickup truck. Yes. Uh, I, I, I think even Elon Musk would admit that starting from scratch as an auto manufacturer is not easy. Uh, I think Rivian has gotten a big vote of confidence uh, having been backed by such players as Ford and Amazon. So yes. that's, a, that's a good sign. Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the investment. The obstacle for them is that it's a pickup truck. Uh, and I say that because we know pickup owners are uh, just overwhelmingly uh, brand loyal. So it will be difficult for any new brand to break in with consumers. But on the other hand, I, I do believe the biggest opportunity for electric vehicles will be, and autonomous for that matter, will be commercial. Uh, so the fact that it's a pickup might, on the other hand, help them in that way. So that's why I say it's really hard to gauge. I think one of their early contracts is going to be for Amazon, and, that, and that's really a great use for, for, for an electric vehicle like that where they know where they're going to park and they can charge them overnight, and you know, during the day they've got a certain you know, range that they know where they're going to hit, and it's that city cycle, stop and go, really great for electric. Um, it, it's tough to read, but uh, it, it at least looks promising. Great. 
Hey, Joe, that's probably a great, we could talk to you all day. You've just uh, fountain of knowledge and uh, made us think about a bunch of different areas that I hadn't considered. I don't think Bruce had considered, but he, he has more knowledge about it than I do. But it's great to zap your knowledge uh, this morning. So we want to thank uh, Joe Weisenfelder. Say it for us. And is it German or say it, say it if I was going to say it correctly, how would we say it? Uh, Weisenfelder is what I've uh, grown up with. I okay. think in Germany it would be Wiesenfelder. But Perfect. I never correct anyone if they, if, they, if they say my name as long as they say cars.com several times. That's There you go. <laughs> and thank you for the reminder. We do want to uh, remind our listeners to visit cars.com. It's uh, very thorough. Uh, takes you in all different areas of the, of the car buying world and lots of uh, bells and whistles in a good way. Uh, to to check out the site and Bruce wanted to add one. Yeah, thing here. there are good research tools on there. I really enjoyed it, so it is a good site, if, especially if you're looking for a used car. Yes. So Joe, thanks again for for being our guest on the Weekly Driver podcast. Don't forget to visit uh, my site, theweeklydriver.com, which corresponds to the podcast. And and Joe, thanks again for being our guest today. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having us. Okay. Talk to you again, Joe. Bye bye. Bye. All Joe. right. Bye bye.